volunteers for Children's Church. You can turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, our passage this morning. We'll be reading verses 18 through 25. This is the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, I believe in your Holy Spirit. We believe in your Holy Spirit and his work through your word in the hearts of your people. I pray that that work would be evident this morning as you would speak to us from your word by your spirit to teach us, to guide us, to exhort us, to comfort us. Do what we ask, for we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's often in stories, doesn't matter the type of story, whether it's a TV show or a book, doesn't matter the length of story, whether it's a short story or a thousand-page novel, there's side characters. And the best side characters in any story help orient the reader and the, the plot and, and everything towards the themes of the book. You don't want to read a book and be like, oh, this character showed up. Why is he there? What is he there for? I have no idea. It's going to come back later. And then you get to the end of the book and you're like, oh, I guess he was just a random little side note. Don't get me wrong. There's some exceptions. But generally speaking, you want a side character that, that points to what the story is about. We have in this passage today side character in Joseph. Right? He, he's, he is rightly not the focus of this passage. In fact, as I was studying for the sermon and trying to, to get into the life of Joseph, the commentators are like, yeah, Joseph did this, but let's talk about this prophecy from Isaiah, which is the point. This is the point of, of the whole gospel of the whole Bible to get to Jesus and what he is doing. But in the midst of this, we can see how Joseph reflects what God is doing in the larger sense, how Joseph reflects the, the character of God and how he treats his people. 
And in Joseph, we see this gentleness and this faithfulness that reflects the gentleness and faithfulness of God. That's the point that we're going to look at today, that God's gentleness and his faithfulness is reflected in those who belong to him. In those who are his, God's gentleness and faithfulness is reflected. And first, let's look at the gentleness we see here. You'll look back and be like, TJ, I don't see the word gentle in these verses. And you're right. The, the word gentleness does not appear here. But if you examine the, the actions of Joseph, the things that he does, it exudes gentleness in the way that he treats Mary. And notice that it, it flows from this description of Joseph. It says, her husband Joseph, being a just man. Being a just man. And, and maybe that sounds a little weird to you, because sometimes we think of justice just in terms of punishment or, or almost... Uh, good revenge. Something wrong was done, and now revenge is being taken for that. That's what justice is. But the, the biblical definition of justice is, is much more positive. It's much more holistic as it talks about living rightly or being righteous. One translator even takes that liberty and, and describes Joseph as a man intent upon doing what was right. Intent upon doing what was right. And what was right in this situation, you and I might differ on from what Joseph did. Because Hebrew betrothal, it says that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. Hebrew betrothal was a very solemn affair. It was done in front of witnesses, and it was legally binding. The only thing that was left for them to have a party, have a wedding feast, and move in together with all the physical implications that comes with that. Notice Joseph is called her husband. He's already called her husband, even though they're betrothed. And according to the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 22, the death penalty was perfectly within reason for someone who committed adultery while betrothed. Now, in Jesus' day, in this time period, the, the Pharisees and other scribes had constructed the law so such that was unlikely, but there was still the very real option for a formal legal proceeding, for him to drag her in front of the, the people of their town and say, look at what she did, and sue her in public. That was one option. This would even have been, as we would typically define just, a just option. She had done something wrong, so it seemed, and he could have drug, dragged her in front of everyone to call it out. But the other option was to simply give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. This is much more private, much more quiet, much less vindictive. No one would even have to really know what had happened. It's the gentler option. And this is the option that we see Joseph was intending to do. Joseph had the right to bring her before the court and get justice. But he decided on the gentle path. And even in that, he was not eager to dispatch her. He was not eager to go down that path because he said he was considering these things. And not only was he considering these things, he was sleeping on it. Because that's when the angel comes to him in a dream. 
He demonstrated gentleness. Gentleness is this, this good of others focus first. What in the midst of whatever circumstances I'm dealing with, what would it look like to consider the good of this person first? Not just destroying to achieve whatever outcome I think is best, but what would it look like to seek the good of this other person? Often this other person who has wronged me, what would it look to seek their good first? Paul Tripp talks about how if you hire someone to do a remodel in your house, which I'm currently dealing with, and they show up with a wrecking ball to remodel a bathroom, you understand that maybe their intentions are a little bit different than yours. If they're just like, nope, it's not worth it, we're going to knock the whole thing over to achieve the desired outcome. That's not what gentleness is. It's not saying I'm going to go for the most efficient, the most aggressive, the most at my disposal power use in order to achieve what I think is best. What is the good of this person that I could be seeking? And this reflects God's own gentleness. As we read earlier in our call to worship from Psalm 18, the psalmist says, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand, the right hand being God's strength, your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. Your gentleness, gentleness, really? That's what made me great? Your gentleness, it's not, not, not your strength, not your, your, your power to destroy our enemies, not, not winning that made us great. Your gentleness made me great. And we can see God's own gentleness to Joseph and his handling of this situation. The message of the angel, he says, do not fear to take Mary. He understood that Joseph was afraid, and rightly so. The scandal that this would have caused, he was afraid. And the angel says, do not fear. I understand your fear. I understand your emotions. I see where you are coming from. And I am telling you, I am reassuring you, I am comforting you. It will be okay. Because what is with her is from the Holy Spirit. Also, he addresses Joseph as the son of David. Joseph was not the regional governor. He was not the king of Israel, but he addresses him as the son of David, putting him in this honored line of kings of Israel, and, and in a way reminding him of the promises that God had made to David and to his family. But not, not just with Joseph. We can see the Heavenly Father's gentleness, and how he worked salvation. Not just here, but throughout redemptive history. At the beginning in Genesis, as soon as sin enters the world, he says, I'm sending someone. And on through Abraham and his care for Abraham, who did not always make the best choices, and his care through Moses and the Israelites, who were often openly defiant of him, and he handled them with gentleness. And in, even to Pharaoh, this man who sought to destroy the people of God, he gave him so many chances to change his heart. All the way through the history of Israel as they again sought idols, again through the judges, through the prophets, through the good kings and the bad kings, he was gentle with them and, and culminating in sending his son, not as a conquering king, which would have been well within his rights, 
but as a baby. And not just a baby in a palace, but as a baby born in the the extra room outside the inn and placed in a manger. God has dealt gently. Consider the son's gentleness as he lived his life, as he treated many multitudes of sinners incredibly gently. People who were in open sin, who were found in open sin, who he did not bring judgment upon them, but instead treated them gently. Who describes himself as gentle and as lowly. Whose harshest words were not for those who were the greatest sinners, so to speak, but to those who thought they didn't need anything. Consider the Holy Spirit's gentleness and his ongoing work of guiding us, indwelling us, and who who doesn't seek to break us like you would a stallion, just force of will, commit to it, to make it do what it should do, but who instead encourages us, prompts us, points us to God, to his word, and to his son. God's gentleness is reflected in Joseph. But how is he rewarded for this? What's the, what's the outcome of Joseph's gentleness? What does he get out of this? Because Joseph kind of fades out of the narrative. Right? There's a little bit more as they go to Egypt and the, and the coming of the Magi. There's, there's the story of Jesus in the temple. But then we don't really hear anything about Joseph. A lot of scholars think he, he probably died. And that's why we don't see him pop up again. Sometimes that's what God is inviting us to do. That's what God is calling us to do, to fade out of the spotlight. See, our culture is is screaming to us, do something, be something, make something of yourself, express yourself. You've got to figure it out and you've got to yell it to the world. And if you've tried to do that for any amount of time, you know how exhausting that is. And how soul-crushing it is to try to bear the weight of your own fate on your own shoulders. But Jesus is inviting us to come to himself, who he describes himself as gentle and lowly. And he promises us rest. But in the midst of that, he calls us to take up our cross, to die to ourselves, and to follow him. That's what we see this example of in Joseph. So how do we respond when we're in situations like Joseph was? When when it seems like, whether it's it's true or not, when when it feels like we have been wronged, how do we respond? Because the way that we respond when we feel we've been wronged reveals so much about how and whether we trust the Lord. If we trust him, We are much less willing to to seek what we think is ours, trusting ourselves to him who judges justly. And true gentleness flows from the humility that recognizes our own weakness and our own incapabilities and our own inability to do what we should. And recognizing that this other person who has wronged us or seems like has wronged us is just like us. They are broken. They are sinful. They are struggling. They need help. And so I can treat them gently because I would want someone to treat me gently. 
Is our inclination towards gentleness or is it towards efficiency and expediency or puffing ourselves up, making sure our will is instituted? Maybe parents, you're like me and you think, you've noticed even, there's a correlation between the volume I use and the obedience that my children exhibit. I can make it happen. I can exert my will and, and just raise the volume, and, and what I want to get done will get done. But that's not helpful. That's not gentle. That's not seeking the good of my own children first, where I'm supposed to train them, but also share and show and demonstrate the love of Christ to them. And children, are you gentle with your parents? Children, you sitting here, are you gentle with your parents? Or are you seeking just to get what you want out of them and treating them however you want to so that it makes sure, so that you make sure what you want to happen happens? Are you treating your parents gently? Spouses, are you gentle with each other? In spite of all the slights, in spite of, of the tone of voice, in spite of the thing that they said they would do but they did not do, do you treat your spouse gently? Are you gentle with your roommates? Even though they left that dish there again. Are you gentle with your coworkers even though they cannot get that, their act together? Gentleness. Do we have the patience, just like Joseph didn't rush to solve the problem, do we have the patience to seek out options that aren't optimal for us, that don't produce everything that we want, but we recognize that they align with and they echo God's goodness towards his people? Not winning that argument, maybe surrendering time or money to be with or to help or to appreciate those around us, even those who have sinned against us? Are we gentle as God has been gentle with us? So we see the example of Joseph's gentleness and, and God's gentleness reflected through that. But also we see that Joseph was faithful and that God's faithfulness is reflected in that as well. Like gentle, the word faithful doesn't show up here. But again, you can see Joseph's faithfulness as he was a just man, as he was intent to do what was right. He was initially faithful, understanding the call of a husband is to love his wife. And so it says that he was unwilling to put her to shame. He was unwilling to put her to shame. He, he had the ability, maybe even the right to do it, but he sought to shield her even amidst what he assumed to be her betrayal. But once he receives this message from the angel and he sees that, that God through his Holy Spirit is at work in Mary, it says that Joseph awakes. And as he awakes, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Immediately, without haste. He's faithful both to God and to Mary. He's honoring what is happening with Mary by abstaining from what is his marital right until Jesus is born. And once Jesus is born, he does as he was directed and names the boy Jesus. 
fathers, I don't know about you, but I really liked the privilege of being able to name my children, as Ransom's name would suggest. I wanted that right. I wanted the ability to do that, to give that up. That's a sacrifice. But he was faithful to do as he was directed because he saw the larger picture of what was going on. And even though he is not physically Jesus' father, he still participates in Christ's coming as he protects and he cares for Mary, as he gives him this name. And so he's given this title, Son of David. Again, this is amazing that he's called Son of David. It connects him to this broader Davidic covenant that God made with the King David and associates him and, and pulls him into the process of those promises being fulfilled. Though he wasn't physically Jesus's father, he was legally Jesus's father. And through that legal heirship of Christ to Joseph, he's connected to the line of David. This is not a simple thing. This is not an easy thing to, to, to take his own rights and his own desires and set them aside. No doubt the scandal of Jesus' birth was present in and around Nazareth. There is messiness here. There is difficulty here. But as we saw earlier in Matthew with the genealogy of Christ, God is not tarnished or afraid of human sin. Whenever he comes in contact with human sin, he does not shrink back, but he obliterates it, either in the cross of his son or in judgment at the end of days. In fact, Jesus' whole mission as he came to earth was to seek and to save the lost. God is not worried about scandal. God is not worried about protecting the image as he says when he was anointing Jesus' ancestor David, he says, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, these outward circumstances, this, this questionable circumstance of Jesus' birth, but the Lord looks on the heart and he sees the faithfulness of Joseph. Maybe you need to have a conversation with some of the older saints around you. Maybe... If you have been following the Lord for many years, you need to ask yourself, when have been the most profound experiences of faith that I have had? Has it been those times when life was breezy and I almost didn't even need to pray? Or has it been in the midst of those circumstances that were hard, that were difficult, where you didn't know what was going to happen the next day or the next week, when you weren't sure how things were going to be provided for you. Most often, times of suffering and difficulty, when we're surrounded by God's people, are the times of most profound faith and faithfulness. So Joseph is an integral part of this story, but he's not the focus. God used him to, to work out this great faithfulness that he was exhibiting through his son, and sometimes being faithful means recognizing how non-essential we are. Sometimes being faithful means recognizing that God does not need us. And yet he still invites us in and calls us to follow after him. I've got some extended family in Indiana. And one of them, my uncle Dirk, owns a farm. 
It's a family farm. And I remember one time when I was about 14 or 15, we went to visit and he let me drive this like $120,000 treaded tractor that's like 30 feet tall and 30 feet wide. And I had no business driving it. And he's in the cab with me the whole time. And the whole time I'm like, this is so cool, but I'm a little afraid. I'm like touching it barely. And just like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? And he was guiding me. And if I did something a little wrong, he told me and you go out and it turns on a dime. It is so cool. But in the midst of that circumstance, I recognized that I was not the essential part of this. (laughs) My uncle Dirk sitting right there was guiding me was telling me what to do. I was checking in with him. And so Joseph is faithful, not because he's so smart and so wise and he just understands everything that's happening, but because he hears from God, here's what I want of you. And he responds and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And God uses that faithfulness along with with everything else he's been working throughout History to bring to fruition this, this great climax of salvation, this Emmanueling, this God coming to his people, tabernacling with them, fellowshipping with them. Notice how he is faithful, even here to Joseph, recognizing the circumstances he's putting him in, but comforting him guiding him, protecting him, and providing for him, even as the Magi are going to come. These wise men are going to come and bring gifts. Even as the, the, the threat of Herod is going to come, and God sends a warning, and they flee to Egypt. God is faithful to Joseph. This angelic message must have been equal parts unsettling, like a, a virgin birth with, with my betrothed, Mary, but also reassuring as he says, this son is going to be God with his people. Consider also God the Father's faithfulness in this grand story of redemption. They worked from Genesis all the way through Abraham, Isaac, and Moses, through the judges and Samuel and David and the good kings and the bad kings and the prophets, all the way to this time, this family, this child. God was faithful to his people, whether or not they were faithful to him. Consider God the Son's faithfulness, going to earth, taking on the form of a servant, going voluntarily to the cross, even even though he dreaded it, much in the same way Joseph was afraid of what would it be like to take Mary as my wife, Jesus was afraid of what is this cross going to be like. And yet he says, not my will, but yours be done. And he's continually faithful to his people, even now as, as he has risen and ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he makes intercession continually for his people. He is faithful to them. Also, God, the Holy Spirit, is faithful. He's described as the helper or the counselor, this ever-present person who is with us to help and to counsel us, who, Scripture says, pleads in words and groanings that we can't even understand on our behalf. So that even when we don't even know what to say, the Holy Spirit is faithful to know it and say it for us. 
Are we okay being faithful like Joseph was, even if it means we don't get acknowledged for it? Are we okay being faithful even if if we're reviled or gossiped about it? When people who are outside of the situation don't understand, but we know we're being faithful. Sometimes we think, how could I possibly be faithful unless I'm the one doing all the things? How could I possibly be faithful if I'm not being seen for doing it? Are we willing to be faithful, even at at great personal cost? Even at the cost of our reputations, the cost of our time and our, our money, to our spouses, in spite of their sin. Not just in, in sex, but also in, in service. Are we willing to be faithful to them? To our kids, are we willing to be faithful to them in spite of their rampant disobedience, of which I could give you many examples? Are, are we willing to be faithful to our parents in spite of the ways that they may have wronged us and the ways that they did not live up to their calling? Are we willing to be faithful to our vocation in spite of the inefficiency of it, in spite of the pressure to do something different? Are we willing to be faithful to our church in spite of just the inconvenience of the timing or the people or that one, one person that just really annoys me? Are we willing to be faithful to the people that God has placed immediately around us, even in this moment? Are we intent on doing what is right, like Joseph? Or are we intent on other things? Comfort, pleasure, status, security, affirmation, power, recognition, control? What is our intention? All those things are focused on us rather than focused on God and his character, his word, and what he calls us too. And this is difficult to be gentle like Joseph, to be faithful like this, even as he reflects the gentleness and the faithfulness that God calls us to is difficult. But God and his son never calls us to do something that they do not provide for us to do. In fact, Jesus has done all these things first. He has been there first. He has been gentle. He has been faithful, but he calls us to take up our cross, to die to ourselves, and to follow after him in this gentleness. And it's a process, and it's a way of life, and it's not going to happen immediately. But if we look to him more and more, and if we, we seek to follow after his example more and more, more and more, and we, we, we pray and ask for his help more and more, we just might find that God's gentleness and faithfulness is reflected in those who are us, is reflected in us as we belong to him. We pray that, let's pray that that would be true. Heavenly Father, you are gentle with your people. You are faithful with your people. 
Father, you have called us to gentleness and you have called us to faithfulness. And I pray that we would be gentle and faithful. But I acknowledge that we cannot hope to do it if it is just dependent on our willpower and our efforts. So I ask for your help, for the ongoing intercession of your son, for the ongoing work of your spirit to shape us, to form us into Christ's image, that we would be gentle and faithful, especially in our relationships with those closest to us. Please be faithful to us as we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.